Chapter 1, Part 5 from the sermon series, Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. Good morning. Good to see you all today. Good to be with you all in word and worship. It's going to be a good Sunday. It's a good Sunday. Uh, we continue in our sermon series, as you can see by the bumper on the book of John. I enjoy it. John is my favorite book in the Bible. So here we go. Um, last week, Pastor Peter spoke a powerful word on being filled with the Holy Spirit, obeying the Holy Spirit. Highly recommend you go back, just listen to that sermon. Today's sermon is a continuation of that sermon. I mean, honestly, it makes sense because we're continuing in John 1 today. And as, as I was preparing uh, today's word, this message, as we close out the first chapter of John, I had a sense of wonder of Jesus, like the idea of Jesus just living with people, right? Just living and being with them, right? So have any of you uh, watched the series Chosen on like Amazon Prime or whatever? Great. Chosen... Um, wonderful power of media and just TV, right? I think it was crowdfunded, actually. Just bringing to life the gospel, right? And just seeing how people lived and what that might have looked like. It's pretty cool, right? I heard they did a lot of research to put that thing together to make it as accurate as possible. But has anyone heard of this game? Can we get an image up on the screen? It's called I Am Jesus Christ. It's a video game. And what you do is you play the role of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And you go on quests like look for John the Baptist in the wilderness and survive 40 days fasting and battle with the Pharisees. I am not kidding right now. This game is available for download. I just, it's just so crazy that there are things like this. But if you think about it, if you think about it, it's natural, right, to want to imagine what must have life been like back then? What must have life been like back then? So I'm like visualizing these scenes in my head. I'm like, oh man. And I want to read the first two verses for us today. Verse 35. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Right? Think about that. It's so simple. Jesus is literally just walking by. These guys are like doing something. They're working. They're preparing something. They're with John. Jesus is walking by the back. John's like, hey, look. It's the savior of the world, Messiah. Just walking right by. It's like, oh, cool. You know? And when I was thinking about that, I was like, man, where was Jesus going? They never say, right? Where was he going? Was he on an errand? Right? Did he have work to do? Was he hungry? Was he going to go meet somebody? Did he have like a profound, like God motivated task that he needed to do that day? Where was he going? Was he having a good day? A bad day? And that whole like scene in my head, it brought me, it like made me remember this really cheesy like viral video of this subway violinist. I'm, some of you may know this, like you see it on Facebook, but like there's this violinist, right? And he's 
playing in a subway, a New York City subway or something, and people are just like walking by. Maybe someone will stop for a second and listen in and just walk by. And he's playing, and he's obviously like dressed very down to look like a stereotypical street performer. But he's playing, and after a long time, this narrator comes out and he's like, look! This violinist is actually the first chair of this crazy Philharmonic, and he's been here playing his million-dollar violin for you. Like, none of you noticed how beautiful the sound he was making. Stop and see the beauty. Like and subscribe for more content, right? <laughs> I hate that video so much. <clears throat> but admittedly, admittedly, we are like that in our faith. I include myself in that. See, the Gospel of John is marked by Christ dwelling with people. Marked by it, right? The Gospel of John is marked by it. Pastor Sunita spoke a word on that idea. Christ dwelling with God's people. That means that Jesus was in the crowd. Jesus was in the town. Jesus was shouting. Jesus was dialoguing. Jesus was walking with the people. Jesus was clearly identifying himself to the people, to everyone. People had access to him. And the truth of the matter today is that we, as the people of God, have even more access to him because of the work of the cross and the Holy Spirit. We have even more access to God than even back in those days. And so the question that we put forward here is, are we satisfied with a Jesus who's just purely in the background of our lives? A Jesus that plays in the background, sometimes shows up, is a pleasant surprise type of Jesus. Are we satisfied with that one-time Jesus? Or do we truly want Jesus to be at the center of our lives? What does that mean for Jesus to truly be at the center of our lives. Okay? So, I'm going to read through the passage, and I just want us to visualize what the scenes look like, right? And then we're going to pray. This is John 1, 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. 
Jesus answered, I saw you while you were un still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Well, you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. And church family, if we can pray this prayer together, just that God would speak, that God would move, and that we would truly just be convicted by a word today from him, not from me, but from the, the Holy Spirit. Lord, we elevate your word today. We acknowledge and we declare you are in full authority, God. So would you speak? Would your word be profound? May your word find good soil. And Lord, we ask that you be pleased with what you hear, what you see today. May your glory fill this room. May your glory fill this room in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to break up this passage into two sets of conversation. Right? The first being verse 35 to 43, and the second set being verses 44 to 51. And I want us to just look at three things. I, I don't really have points, but there are three things I want, you to, I want you to see that are highlighted here. The first is a question. The second is a challenge. The third is a promise. We have a question, a challenge, and a promise. We're going to be met by this question, right? And you'll see it real quick that comes up. I want you to think about what that says to us today, right? So we're going to go verse by verse here. And then, um, yeah, we'll go from there. Verse 35. The next day, John was there again with the two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So tangent here, I just want to make a note here regarding discipleship. Right, this is a note on discipleship in general. This is John the Baptist's discipleship and is excellent because good discipleship always points you to Jesus. Okay? John points his disciples here, not once, but twice, two times in the same chapter, to Jesus. He probably does it every time Jesus ever walks by. Good discipleship will point you to the person of Christ. Right? A lot of times, discipleship captures us because we're like, oh, become more financially savvy. Become better at reading the Bible. Become a better human being. Right? That's not what that is, that's about. Discipleship always points you to the person of Jesus Christ. That is its ultimate goal. If it doesn't have that, it's not good discipleship. It sets you up to follow Jesus and to be more like Jesus. Verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and following and asked, what do you want? This is our question here. And I want you to turn to someone and ask them right now, what do you want? I asked my wife that, and she said a jacket. But I want, I want you to think about this question right now. It's a really simple question. What do you want? But if Jesus was staring you in the face and he asked you, what do you want? What would you say? 
what would you say to him? Would you answer honestly? Or would you be able to articulate what's on your heart to Jesus? What do you want? And I love this question that Jesus is posing here because he is posing that question to us as his people. What do you want? What are you asking God for when you call upon him? What are you looking for when you call out for his name? What do you want? Verse 38, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So the two disciples, they ask this because they want to spend time with Jesus. So back in those days, this context is when you spent time with a rabbi, that meant that you had an opportunity for learning or teaching. Huge opportunity. Men like this of their status did not get that because they were not really like scholarly, right? But when you were able to be under the scholarship of a famous rabbi, it was just a tremendous opportunity for you. And this guy's supposed to be the Messiah, right? So he's like the top of the top, right? So of course, they're chasing him down because they want to spend time with him. But I will tell you this for sure, they had no idea what they were asking for or what they were in for at all. Verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So here, Jesus' response to these men is simply, come and you will see. That word see can also be translated into perceive with your mind. All right, come and you will perceive. Come and you will understand. Right? And this response, also note, is on theme with the entire gospel of John here. His response is full access. He doesn't reject them. He doesn't test them. He doesn't like run away from them. He doesn't make, him, make them chase him up a mountain or anything like that. They simply walk up to him. He turns around. He says, what do you want? They, ask, they tell him they want to stay with him. He says, come. Come on out. Full access. And what this tells us about God is that when we inquire, God is responding. Come and see. Okay? Must have been an impactful day because the first thing Andrew does after this day is to find his brother and to bring his brother to the Messiah. 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon Tom. We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. All right, we're met with our challenge, okay? This whole exchange links back to that initial question, what do you want, right? What do you want is this start up with honest, right? Not ask, no trick question here. What do you want from me? What do you want from Jesus? Continues to come and see. Come and see what I have for you. So they go, and then we're met with this challenge. Follow me. The disciples follow Jesus because John points them that way. They see, they have an invitation to follow. And that is actually the nature of our faith today. Many of you have encountered Jesus. And you know that it is a not, uh, it's not a one-time thing. You don't meet Jesus and then you're done. Right? Jesus doesn't happen and then you just go the rest of your lives like, okay, willy-nilly. Like, we're done here. It's not a one-time thing. It is a daily relationship, a daily invitation, a daily challenge to follow. That's why we have Simon Peter here. He has a profound encounter with Jesus, a profound encounter. How do we know this? We don't see what's said here. It's a profound encounter because he gets a new name. 
right? In this context, when someone receives a new name in this culture, it is a renewal of identity, right? This is a profound, significant event in Peter's life. And guess what? Jesus doesn't just name him. He's like, bye, peace. You know, it's way more than that. Jesus says, you are now Peter. Come follow me. And then Peter follows him. He has so much more for Peter after that event. He's not finished with him. We see other events like this in the Bible, like the wealthy rich man, right? There's a wealthy young rich ruler. He comes. He, he talks to Jesus. He says, what must I do to gain eternal life, right? They have a little conversation. And finally, Jesus ends it with, sell all your possessions and then come, follow me ends with an invitation, a challenge. And what we see here is following is not always easy. Why? Because you have to deny yourself to follow after him. See, faith is not about knowing what's going to come next. That's not faith, that's clarity. When you know what's going to happen next, you have clarity. Faith is about trusting the one who's leading and following anyway, not knowing what your next step is. Many of us who have encountered Christ, unfortunately, are like the rich man. We have encountered Jesus. We had a beautiful, real, raw salvation experience. I will not take that away from you. But then Jesus says, come and see what else I have for you. And so we go. We, come, we go and we see, and guess what? We either don't like what we see or it scares us. We don't like what we see or it scares us. And so the invitation to then follow becomes even harder and more complicated. I get it. Trust me, I, 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 I get it. When I first decided to live for Christ, it was really dramatic. I feel like a lot of things in my life are like just really dramatic. But it was dramatic conversion, dramatic reconciliation with my father, dramatic lifestyle changes, dramatic shift in mindset. And I was really young. I was, this is like from ages like 24 to 28. I thought that God was done with me. I thought, what more can change, God? I thought he was done. I was working in the financial sector, right? I was leading a small group at church. I was emceeing events at church. People were asking me to emcee their weddings for some reason. I was terrible at it, but I did it anyway, right? I tithed 15% of my income. I went to Metro at 9.30, and then after that service, I, we drove up to Westchester to serve at a different youth group, right? A lot of times, Pastor Peter, he'll say, he's the best, like, lay leader. I'm the best lay leader, it was me. My goodness. But I just remember, despite all the things we were doing, all the time that was dedicated to all this stuff, I just remember being so happy. I was so happy. And work, work was grueling. All right, I, I, trust me, I get it. I did the 70, 80-hour weeks. I was, it was terrible. But my life was turning around. I was living with less anxiety. My, my relationships were getting better. My family was acknowledging me. Right? All this reconciliation was happening. Life was good, and I was happy until I got my call to ministry. 
And like long story short, right, I was asked to speak at a youth group event because they had no other speaker. So I went, and it was terrible, but I did it. And then one kid, this one kid, he decided to give his life to Jesus that day. And I remember I looked at him, and I was like, wow. I have never felt joy like this in my life. I could do this for the rest of my life. Crap. Because <laughs> I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. Because I knew immediately what that price would be. I knew immediately it would shake up my life because my life was settling real well. And I did not want to shake that up again. And pursuing this call, so hard. This burden, I fought it for a year because I was like, I can't do it. I will not do it. I was supposed to go to law school to become a lawyer at IJM and I was going to free like the captives and stuff like that, you know? But I had this burden. And we used to do prayer up here. I used to come up every week. I came up and I'd cry. Baby. Oh, I'd cry. And Pastor Peter, Pastor Kevin, they'd pray for me. And then they'd affirm my calling. And then I would cry more. And then finally I decided, okay, fine. I'll take up this call. I will. A year later, I did it. I told my family. You know what they said to me? They said, you're stupid, you're naive, and you're, you're a disappointment. I had to go from that conversation to giving my two weeks notice and then enrolling at the school. I think that was one of the hardest years of my life. Real hard transition. No job, no income. Savings are being depleted, and I was going back to school. A lot of the pastors on our staff, they're like, oh, I love school, I love learning. I hated school. It's terrible. But, and this is when I really have to speak to God's faithfulness because my, my, my understanding of his faithfulness was here. My understanding of how faithful God is was here. But he was way above and beyond, right? I would never have envisioned my life to be what it is now. Is it like glamorous? No, by, by no means. It's, by no means is it glamorous. But God is so faithful when we say yes. Right? And I'll give you an example. This is so small. This is actually really just a small bit of it because it happened really early on. Right? It happened a while ago. It happened in December 2015. I'll never forget it. The first time my father ever told me he was proud of me was after my first year of ministry as a pastor. I never thought he would say that to me. My jaw dropped. I was like, what? The first time in 30 years. Some of us want to be with Jesus. Commune with Jesus. Have a relationship with Jesus. It sounds like a good idea. But if it costs something, many of us would rather know him at a distance, keep him in the background. We would rather have the once in a while Jesus, the show up every now and then Jesus, the don't bother me Jesus. And then a lot of times we ask, God, how come we don't encounter the power and the glory of God in our lives. How come, how come we're not experiencing those things? God? 
And the answer to that is simple. And there's no shame here. Um, there's no shame if this is you because this is many of our prayers. If your prayers are, God, dear God, please let everything stay the same. Amen. Dear God, everything's good right now. Please keep it that way. Amen. Dear God, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing because it's good. It's great. We have a routine. Leave it that way. Amen. Do you really think that you're going to encounter the power of God that way? If you do encounter the power of God, it will disrupt your life. It will shake because that is how powerful he is. You simply cannot experience God's power without God shaking up your life. It's too much. It's too great. And it's above and beyond our routines. Many of us are here because we have seen Jesus. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, he is inviting you to follow him to something deeper, to something greater, to something more intimate, and to something more profound. Amen? Let's continue. Verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see. I want to note here right now on what Philip did. This is a mirror, right? This conversation is a mirror of the first set of dialogue that we looked at. It's Philip this time making the invitation to come and see. It's telling us we too can make that invitation to come and see. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus says, I saw you. Please also understand this as Jesus saying, I know you. I know you. As we saw in verse 47, he actually speaks on Nathaniel's character like someone who had been watching him for a long time. Jesus says to Nathaniel, I know you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel is floored that Jesus makes this statement about you, right? I saw you under a fig tree. He's actually floored here because to declare someone as the Son of God, as the Messiah, huge declaration, right? So Nathaniel is clearly just mind blown here just blown out of the water. And then Jesus is actually responding to him. What Jesus is saying in layman's terms is, man, you believe me just because I told you that? That's what put you over? And you know what? That's like so many of us. Track with me here. Ephesians 3. I go to this passage a lot because I think it's just so profound. Ephesians 3, Paul constantly, Paul is praying for the people of God to have power. Power for what? Not for power for miracles, not for power to do works. Power to know the height, the width, the depth of God's love for us. That's it. Okay? 
That's how powerful and amazing but simple that truth is, so hard for us to grasp, to keep. Because how many of us forget that God loves us when we struggle? How many of us question God's sovereignty when we struggle? How many of us question God's presence when we struggle? Then how many of us don't remember how powerful he is when we struggle? See, these truths, they're so simple. They're divine in nature. But to God, these are a given. This is given. This is free. It's like this is 101. How many believe in his power to move and to shape our circumstances in times of difficulty? How many of us desire, like your first thing that you do, your are to is, God, I look to you right now because you're the one that is in control of this. Financially, relationally, whatever it might be, God, you are in control. Is that our first position? Or is it, oh, okay, I have enough money to deal with this. Oh, okay, we can handle this. Oh, okay, I'll do it this way. How many of us put us in the driver's seat? When it's God who is sovereign, we declare it all day. We declare it all the time. We call him the King of Kings. Is that just the title? Or is he truly the King of Kings? See, God operates in a realm that is beyond our realm of possibility. Way beyond it. And see here, to Nathaniel, Jesus telling him, I saw you under the tree, Mind-blowing, right? Jesus' response, what God is saying to Nathaniel here, he's saying it to us, he's saying it to you and me. He says, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and ascending on the Son of Man. What he's saying here is, man, you, you're impressed. You are blown over that I said I saw you under a tree. You're blown over that I called you a son, that I called you a daughter. You are just so mind-blown that I spoke something prophetically to you and that it happened. You are so mind-blown that you saw, um, like, healing, that you got a job, that you did this and that. And what he's saying here is, church, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is nothing. And then there's an invitation to follow. A challenge to follow. And I want us to read this passage. This is, this is from Mark 5. It was in our Bible reading. And this is like a glimpse, right, of following after Jesus. Like, you know, the disciples have gotten together. They're following after him. All right, Mark 5, 21 happens right after Jesus casts out this demon named Legion, right? He, he takes a boat over someplace, casts out Legion, takes the boat back to the other side. Verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This never happens, by the way. Synagogue leader falling at the feet of like some rogue rabbi? No, it does not happen. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, 
Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing that what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother this guy anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the, son, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Right? This is just to show they thought he, what he was being was crazy. Right? After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in there where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. He told them to give her something to eat. She was fine. She was normal. This guy, this Jesus goes, he delivers this legion, right? A legion of demons drive it out, takes a boat over. He's walking through a cloud. This woman, whom no doctor could help, for years had been suffering, touches his clothes, is healed. She falls to his feet. He says, peace be with you. You are freed from your suffering. Go. He goes to this guy. This guy's daughter dies before he gets there. He walks into the house. He says, get up, little girl. She gets up. And you know what he's saying after this? He's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. I think that a lot of the times we, 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 we get to like a summit and we think that's the top. And we put God's peak there. I think it's natural to do as people who are able to only conceive so much. But God is God is God. And you know, now that I've read through this one more time, and we're going to start closing out in prayer, something that I see here, and that really speaks to me, is just how desperate all the people in this passage of Mark are. How desperate a synagogue leader. He's very reputable. People know who he is. He should never be at the feet of a teacher that people don't really approve of. How desperate that man must have been for his daughter to be healed. 
how desperate this woman was to grasp at Jesus' cloak to be healed. I'm going to tell you, I know many of you were there too. Do you remember being desperate for God? Do you remember how hard it was to be desperate for God? But do you remember how good it was to be desperate for God? That's my prayer for you today. You would be desperate for him. And when he invites you to follow, you'll say, yes, God, I trust you. Let's pray together. I know personally here that many of you um, have had prayers that were unanswered, have had prayers that may have been answered with a door being closed. And that was painful. And I want to address that right now. that you would go to God with that. And you would take that as an invitation to once again come and see, an invitation to once again trust, and an invitation to once again follow, to trust in his character, that he's a good God, he's a good father. If a good father would not give a snake to his child when they ask for something, how much more would our heavenly father give unto us? For those of you who feel the invitation to follow, the challenge, really, but don't know how to say yes. My prayer is that you would be reminded of all the times that God took you somewhere, anywhere, and how he took care of you. And my prayer really is just this, Father, More than clarity, more than a next step, embrace us and help us to trust you, to trust your word, to trust your spirit. that we would follow hard and desperately after you. That, Lord, you would mend the aching heart. That you would give water to the thirsty soul. 
bring peace to a mind clouded with anxiety. You'd raise a people for the lonely. And that you would draw near to all those who long for you. May we not be a church made up of people who are satisfied with a God who is in the background. But would you be the center? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.